welcome to this inspiring message brought to you by Kingsword Media Outreach, a part of Kingsword Ministries International. We hope this teaching inspires you and transforms you into all that God has destined you to be. Please stay tuned for more information about Kingsword Ministries International following this message. May God bless you as you listen. Discussions that we talk about, and the reason being, um, we don't just we don't just um, teach or preach because we have to teach or preach. We don't just do that, all right? Um, because life has to be changed. Life has to be transformed. That's why we do what we do. So every word of God that comes from here is one deliberate, it's intentional, and it is targeted. All right? It is targeted. Targeted meaning that um, if I happen to be somewhere today, maybe another um, local assembly, and I want to teach or preach, it may not be the same word that I will communicate. Or if at all, if it's the same, it may have a different dimension because the audience is different. All right? So every word of God that comes is targeted towards the audience that is there. So God knows that you will be in service today. So when I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord to speak to everyone that will come to church today. Alright? So it's targeted. Alright? So have that expectation anytime you come for church um, to let God speak to you. Okay? Are we good on that? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we started talking about um, testify. Testify. And we said that we do not really know what Jesus did. When we don't really know what Jesus did, it becomes difficult to testify. Our redemption story is one of complete and total victory. Total victory. So the story of our redemption is a complete and total victory. Last week we looked, about, we looked at Esther. How um, the story of redemption was centered around Esther's experience in the palace and with Mordecai and and all that glory to God today I want to look at the act the book of acts the um, experience of the apostles the disciples their experience where redemption is concerned glory to God turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 Proverbs 11 and 30 it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins soul is wise. Can we read together? One to go. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. Glory to God. Let me read that in the message translation. It says, a good life is a fruit bearing tree. 
A violent life destroys souls. That's the message translation. A good life is a fruit-bearing tree. A violent life destroys souls. So it means that the essence or the end goal of giving life, the end goal of winning souls like it's, it's described in King James Version, the end goal is that I have a good life. One that is bearing fruit. One that is bearing fruit. One that is producing. One that is um, impacting my environment. Alright? So, if I draw inference from that, it means that if I have a life that bears fruit. Alright? If I have a life that is giving life to others. It means that I am wise. It means that what I am winning souls. Are you following me? So a good life is a fruit bearing tree. But a violent life destroys souls. So if my life is violent, if my life does not bear fruit, it means what? I am destroying souls. It means I'm not winning souls. The Bible says in James, James chapter 1 and verse 17. Can we go there quickly? James 1 and 17. It says every good tree, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth. 18. By the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God is the custodian of every good and perfect gift. It comes from him. He's the father of light. So he brought us forth by his own will so that you and I can be the first fruits. What is first seen? You and I can produce in such a way that our lives are structured such that they win souls. And when you talk about winning souls, I want to, I want to balance it up. What it means to win a soul and what it means to be a witness. What it means to win a soul. I was sharing with one of my sons um, in the course of the week. There are some of you that that wele me. Do you know what wele means? Some of you wele me during the week. And when you have willed me and I'm counseling you, you now bring out my Sunday message. I'll now end up preaching to you. <laughs> So one of my sons, he willed me during the week. And as I was counseling him and talking to him, I was preaching Sunday message to him. And I just told him, I said, look, your money has finished. <laughs> just like Reverend George would say. How many of you have met Jehovah's Witness before? Lift your hand. You've encountered a Jehovah's Witness. How many of you have ever gone out to 
preach to someone before in the hope to get the person saved if you've done that before you've witnessed to somebody about Jesus okay put if you've never done that before can I see your hand you've never witnessed to anyone about Jesus can I see your hand no raise it up let me see very well raise it up okay if you have raise your hand okay put it down if you have not raised your hand why are some of you in between it's either you've done it or you've not you are not sure okay it's not a problem that's why we go for church that's why we learn these things alright that's why we learn these things the very first time I ever spoke to anybody about, about Jesus I was sweating my temperature was rising that's what it is but hear me and hear me good something happened to me in the course of my Christian work that made it easy for me to witness to people I gave an illustration last Sunday and I said that if you touch a hot metal will you feel the hotness right when you feel the hotness what do you do you drop it right Jesus, and hear me well, your salvation, your coming to know Jesus, should be like that hot metal. If you've not truly encountered him, it will be difficult to tell people about him. So I tell people, don't be in a hurry to go and tell someone about Jesus. Encounter him first. When you do by yourself, your legs will be walking to tell people. And Jesus is not even in a hurry for you to go and tell anybody about him. Because what will it profit him if after you go to tell them and then there is no impact? So he is not after you running to go and tell them about him. No. He is after you having the impact. Because he knows that when he impacts you by yourself, you will go around telling everybody. And look through scripture. Everyone that came in contact with Jesus, even when he told them, shh, don't, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. As he's turning his back, like he said, see that man, he's the one that healed me it's con- you can't hold it in. You can't. So if you're if you are holding it in, maybe you've not truly had you've not truly had that. I can't, I'm not saying that you're not saved, but you have not sold yourself to him to the place of encounter, total surrender. How do you explain a man like Paul? How do you explain someone who was going about? killing the Jews, bringing out the Christians and then all of a sudden had an encounter and in that one encounter he completely switched. He became the one standing and talking everywhere about him and they could not stop him. There was no prison that could hold him down. 
There was no prison. The letters that you and I are reading today that were screaming and shouting revelation, he wrote them in prison. What a, what a place to write a letter, to write a book. What a place. But that's what an encounter does. Because it puts you in a position where you are not conscious of your immediate environment. The encounter is so strong that you are not even conscious of the limitations around you. So when we talk about the redemption in Christ Jesus, we are saying that there is a finished work in him that you and I must see and must come to understand that the moment we come to that revelation, we will automatically testify of him without anybody saying anything. And it becomes our life. So that kind of life, the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. He that understands this redemption and has embraced it will live a life that bears fruit and then that life will win souls for God. They win souls for him. So when you go out to, to, to preach to people, to tell them about Jesus, have you ever ministered to someone before and you preached, you quoted scripture. Even scripture knew that you quoted scripture. But the person did not give his life to Christ. Have you ever, has anybody ever been there before? Let me see your hand. Thank you. Uh-huh. You preach, 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 preach. The person said, okay, I don't hear you. Say, okay, do you want to give your life to Christ? He said, not now. Ah, after everything I've said. What about situations where you must have seen it before a pastor preached and preached and preached and preached preached everything now made altar call nobody <sighs> some pastors even threaten people and if it's possible they'll look at you and say as I'm looking at you it's like you're not saved see we've been under pressure listen to me, to get people saved. As believers, we are naturally under pressure. You and I feel that it's our responsibility to save people. It's not your responsibility. Jesus didn't call you to save anyone. He called you to be a witness. I was reading through the book of Acts. Okay, all they were doing is witnessing. But because they had this encounter, it was so real. So as they were speaking, life was communicating to life. Spirit was talking to spirit. The conviction was there. The Holy Ghost was moving in them and convincing, convicting them instantly. Why? Because they were talking from a place of encounter, not mouth. Not mouth. We are talking from a place of encounter. So you go to minister to someone... And then you tell the person about Jesus and then you leave that place feeling bad and down that the person did not accept Jesus. If you're there before, lift your hand up. Good. Feeling bad. That ah. And then as you are going, hmm, your friend, Brother John, who is it like hey, your friend, Pastor Paul, 
Who is a fire, fire preacher? He's just coming. Oh, single, single, praise the Lord. Ah, brother, brother, wisdom. Where you come from? Evangelism. Ah, oh wow. How many people got saved? Say nobody. Say ah. Hmm. Oh, single, single. I just preached to 20 people and they all got saved. Oh, single, single. Now, brother, wisdom is now feeling like, ah, why is my life like this? Why? I cannot just get one soul saved. If you, are, if you are true as a believer, you've been there before. How can't I just get one soul saved? And then you now go to one midweek service. One pastor now said that this year we have won 300 souls for the Lord. And you'll be like, God, It puts us under pressure. So you go out the next week. You, you must be saved today, today, today. Say after me. I love And you begin, they begin. So you live there feeling like, hey, I'm now a believer. I've done something. It puts us under pressure. If you've had, if you've encountered him, you won't be under pressure. Let me tell you why. Because what he called you to do is not to save a soul. He called you to be a witness. That person you have sown the word to. He goes away and you're praying for him. Five years down the line, that word is growing. The Bible says that angels rejoice in heaven over one soul that is saved. It means that the salvation of a soul is a joint participation. It is not your own responsibility. You are called to be a witness. Why do you think angels are rejoicing? Because they have a part to play. Why do you think the Holy Ghost is happy? Because he's the one that convicts of sin. Why do you think Jesus is glorified? Because it's his blood that was shed. So why are you trying to use your blood to save them? So because of that pressure, many people don't witness anymore. Because they feel that they can't save the person. Go there. Speak the word. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He saved you. He redeemed you. He has a good life for you. Can I pray with you? And you pray with the person and leave. If the person says, oh please, I want to accept Jesus. Oh, why not? Go ahead. If the person says no, you have sown the word. You have witnessed to the person. That's all that is required of you. You leave that place rejoicing. You leave that place saying, God, I've sown the word. I've sown the seed. And you begin to pray for the person. I've had stories of people who God saved in their living room. Nobody preached to them. But somebody sowed the seed of the word. It may be three weeks ago. One month ago. But the seed of the word has been sown. Your responsibility as a believer. Is to sow that seed of that word. Everywhere you go. It takes the pressure off you. And when you are talking to someone. And it, the Holy Ghost now impresses on you. That asks him if he wants to give his life now. Not everybody is ready at every time. I told you the story of Reverend George. He's preaching and preaching and preaching. So okay. Now give your life to Christ. Come outside. Nobody came out. He preached and preached and preached again. Come outside. Nobody came out. He kept. This is a true life story. He kept on preaching. Nobody came out. Finally one elderly man just came out. He said wow. The day John Knox gave his life, he was the only one. The day this person gave his life, he was the only one. This man that has come out, da, 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 preach, 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 preach. And the counselors took the man to the counseling room. 
He said, sir, so now that you are saved, he said, no, don't worry, I'm already saved. He said, ah, but why did you come out? He said, if I didn't come out, that man will continue preaching. I want to go home. We're tired. This is a true life story. He said, the man will continue preaching and we're tired, we want to go home. And if you know Reverend George, he will continue. <laughs> but that's the life, that's the reality. You've preached to people before, all they just want to, they, I mean, I've ministered to people and they will just tell you yes, so that you can go. Not because they really want to get saved, no, so that you can go. Because they are tired of hearing what you say. You want me to be saved? I'll be okay, no problem. Oh, yeah. That's how Brother John came last week too. He did the same thing. Oh, yeah, you used to do your own. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jesus. Oh, yeah. And then and then they go. But if you understand that what you are transferring is life and spirit, you will be excited that you are being a witness. Because that's who you are called to be. So I was going through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, from verse 1, very interesting. I practically just read through all the book of Acts and trying to understand their experience. From verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and whatever, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, some, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. What was he doing? Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Witnessing. Not about himself, but about Jesus. Telling them about the resurrection. Telling them about the life of Christ. What, most, what we do these days, a lot, of, a lot of us preachers do is we try to put our philosophy before the ideology of Christ. We try to explain Christ in our own way. Christ is alone in himself. He's alone in himself. We can't, we can't take our own philosophy to try to explain it to, to other people. No. So that's what Paul was doing. Explaining to them about Jesus. Talking to them about Jesus. Why did he do that? Because he had had an encounter. So it was easy for him to tell them about that encounter. He didn't lack words. No. Because it was so real to him. He didn't lack words. If for any reason he told them that God was going to heal you. It was because... In, at the end of that healing is them becoming like him. At the end of that miracle is them becoming like Jesus. At the end of that provision is you being a witness for him. But it's a different 
thing we see today. So I tell people that look, miracles are a precursor to engagement. What do I mean by that? Miracles are not the end in itself. So when God wants to give you a miracle or wants to perform a miracle, let's assume um, uh, the miracle of healing, for example. The reason he's healing you is so that after that healing, you've had an encounter. Then you can be optimally engaged. So without that healing, you cannot engage fully. So he heals you so that you can maximize yourself in Christianity. Not so that you can go about asking for and seeking for healing. No. It's a precursor to engagement. It is what precedes your relevance. It's what precedes you um, being effective as a believer, as a child of God. So you ask God, you say, God, I need a new job. So what God is thinking, and you need to know that, God is thinking souls. If God gives you a new job, it's tied to souls, it's tied to kingdom. Honestly. If he gives you a new house, gives you a new car, gives you a marriage, gives you a relationship, it's tied to kingdom. That's all he thinks. Do you think he's, he's in a way, do you think he's like, oh, I just want you to have a good life. Of course he wants you to have a good life. But in the, in the end that that good life will lead people to him. In the end that that good life will be a testimony. In the end that that good life will testify of him. In the end. So if that becomes your motive, if that becomes what's at the back of your mind, you will not be too bothered whether you have, whether you don't have. When you are after kingdom and you are following kingdom, Every supply that comes, every need. God told me something. He said, He said it is the seed first before the harvest. He said it is the seed first before. He said, You do not leave off your seed, you leave off harvest. It is the seed first before the harvest. So when you sow the seed of the word. What will come after is a harvest. When you sow the seed of ministering to people and witnessing to people, what will come after is a harvest. But first you have to sow the seed. So all through the book of Acts, what the apostles were doing was ministering. Was ministering. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, it says the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. The Passion Translation says the apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great measures of grace rested upon them all. The testimony of Jesus. So they gave testimony about the Lord Jesus. They spoke about him. They declared him. They witnessed him to, to the people all around them. In Acts 22 and verse 15, it says, For you will be a witness for him to 
every one of what you have seen and heard. Of what you have seen and heard. It means encounter. It means experience. So what I have seen and what I have heard is what I am witnessing. It's not my own philosophy. No. It's the ideology of Christ. It's the idea of Christ. The meaning of Christ. Why he came. That's what I'm telling people. Not my version of it. No. So with great power. They witnessed. They gave witness to that. And then Paul will come before the council. In Acts 23. It says. From verse 11. It says the following night. The Lord stood by him and said. Take courage. For as you have testify to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must testify also in Rome. You must testify about me. It's not about any person. It's not about an individual. It's about me. So the same way you testified in Jerusalem, get ready. You will testify in Rome. But you are testifying about me. It becomes easy. And then Paul went before Agrippa. In Acts 26 and verse 16. It says but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. And to those in which I will appear to you. When Paul stood before King Agrippa, he made bold to declare God's word without fear or favor. Without fear or favor. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem. And throughout all the region of Judea. And then to the Gentiles. That they should repent. Turn to God. And do works befitting repentance. That was his assignment. And he was clear about it. I was not disobedient about it. To tell people about what I have seen. And what I have heard. So what have you seen? What have you heard? Concerning the redemption. Concerning Jesus. What have you seen? What have you heard? How has... How, how has that affected your life to be an effective witness? Has it affected your life? One part of witnessing is praying for people that you have sown the seed of the word to. So it's not just that I've told them about Jesus. It's the fact that I'm also praying for them. I'm praying for them. Because that word has gone somewhere in their life. That word will begin to find a way to come out. Because you have sown the seed of the word of God. Glory to his name. So what is the believer's role? When a non-believer accepts Jesus. What's your role as a believer? What role do I play? The first thing I said is have an encounter. Be sure to have an encounter. If you read through the books of Acts and all the while Paul and Peter and all these people were talking about Jesus, they were talking from the encounter they had. 
how Paul would talk about how uh, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in Damascus. He mentioned that several times before Agrippa, before the council, before people that he was preaching to. He mentioned that several times. That encounter gives you um, power, gives you confidence to talk about the things that you know. So when you are talking to people, they are drawing life from that encounter. Your words are going out, but it is life from the encounter that is entering them to give them their own encounter. Because it's all about Jesus. It's his redemption. It's not you and I. No. It's Christ Jesus. He's the one that died. It's his blood that was shed. It's his body that was broken for you and I. He's the one that hung on the cross. So when we've seen him, when we've heard him, it's easy for us to tell people. That's what it means to be a witness. What does it mean to be a witness? I was there. I was there. Some of you did it in secondary school. John was here. I was here. Eh. You go to some restrooms, you see people writing all kinds of public restrooms. Victoria was here. So what? In public restroom. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Say, but pastor, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. He brought you there by his death. He said, we've been accepted in the beloved. Someone say, I, I was there. So that's what qualifies you to be a witness. I was there. Things that we've heard, things that we've seen, that we've tasted, that we've handled of the word of life. That's what we communicate. Why do you think Stephen, when he was being stoned, the Bible says his countenance littered up. He was there. He He saw the encounter. He was there. He was there. And with all the things that they did to Paul, He still witnessed because he had an encounter. He had an experience of Jesus. And that experience was what he told everyone where he went to. I was there. I've witnessed him. I saw him with my own eyes. I've beheld him. I've seen his glory. His countenance is upon me. So when I talk about him, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about him so that he can give you, um, solve your problems or provide for you. Or do. Yes, he will do that. But beyond all that, I'm telling you because I'm a witness. I was there. I've seen him. I've encountered him. That same Jesus is the Jesus I introduced to you. That's the Jesus I introduced to you. This weekend, on Friday, 15th we'll have the discipleship training from 7am to 9am if you're going to work on Saturday come we'll start exactly 7 and by 9 we're done 2 hours of discipleship training 2 hours and then on Saturday we'll come 7am and then you'll go be a witness we'll go be a witness and this is what the Lord said to me he said I want you to raise as a banner 
the number of people you witness to as a church every week. So I was sharing with Pastor Tayo, we're going to, on Saturday when we come and we go out to witness, we'll get the number of people that we've witnessed to. We'll do, media team, you're going to do like a graph, alright? So every week, we'll display it, we'll lift it up before God, we'll stretch for the map of the city and then we'll speak over them and speak over the people and lift it up as a banner and say, Lord, we've been witness to these people. We've sown the seed of the word. Let that word prevail. Just go ahead and declare and speak it. Let that word, that's what we're going to be doing. Week after week, week after week. That was where he said to me that there's a seed first before the harvest. When I was having that, that discussion with him, that's what he, he said to me. He said it's the seed first before the harvest. Because he, he told me recently that you are in a harvest season. And then when I went to see one of my mentors and we're talking about some things happening in church, I was explaining to him where we are in church and all that. And then he said to me, he said, your growth is coming. I could have taken that word and just be happy. No, but I was like, okay, God, growth is coming. What do I do? What do we need to do to position for the growth that is coming? So in all the questions I was asking God and he led me in this direction, said, do this, do this. And then he said to me, this, it is the seed first before the harvest. So he said, as you are sowing the seed of witnessing the people and celebrating it, he said, then the harvest will follow. So it is the seed first before the harvest. So every week, we're going to be sowing our seeds in ministering to people everywhere. Even if you're going about your work, as you witness to someone, you, I'm going to instruct the tribe um, um, pastors to find a system within the tribe to collate the data. So as you're witnessing to people, you just post it on your tribe group. Oh, I've witnessed to two people today. I've witnessed to three people today. And then your tribe pastor collates that data and send it to media. On Sunday, we lift it up all up and say, okay, this week as a church, we have sown the seed to 100 people, to 50 people. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. And we lift it up and now begin to speak over them and declare them. And then God said, watch me bring in the harvest. He said, it's the seed first before the harvest. Are you not excited? Glory to God. That's why I started by saying that God's word to us in the house is specific. When I go to God, I ask him, what are we supposed to do as a church? That's not how I handle my business. When I go to my business, I ask him, what am I supposed to do in my business? So I'm, I'm, I like to be very specific. It's not a general word. I like to know the season I'm in and the direction um, that I should go in that season. In that season. That's most important. Glory to God. Someone say I was there. So I testify. Say it out loud. I was there. So I testify. Stand to your feet. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Father. I was there. So I testify. I testify about his redemption, about his goodness. And I'm a witness to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lift your hands to him. Thank you, Father. We listen to the sound of power on my lips. Jesus has broken the curse. He has never loved a battle.
You great mountain, you should not bow long. Jesus defeated the darkness, he has never lost a battle. We'll listen to the sound of power on my lips. Jesus has broken the curse. He has never lost a battle. Who are you, great mountains, that you should not bow low? Jesus defeated the darkness. He has never lost a battle. Listen, the fights, the um, the battle we're in as believers is the one that Jesus has won for us so never approach the battles you fight by your own strength never never approach it by your own strength never approach it by your own wisdom never approach it by your own skill by your own skill the reason you will have victory is because Jesus has won the battle for you the reason you will win is not because you have skill it's because Jesus has won the battle and he who has never lost the battle it will not come to your case and then he will say ah sorry I can't anymore no whatever the situation is he's never lost the battle he's never lost the battle So lift your voice. I want you to say it as a declaration of faith. Who are you, great mouth, that you should not bow low? Jesus, to feed the darkness, he has never lost the battle. Who are you, great mouth, that you should not bow low? Jesus defeated the darkness. He has never lost a battle. Say it one more time. Who are you, great mountains? You should not bow low. Jesus defeated the darkness. He has never lost a battle. As you think about the mountains before you, come on, say it as a declaration of faith things that appear difficult before you things that look insurmountable tell them who are you this mountain Jesus defeated the darkness so this same mountain can be defeated he has never lost a battle at all he is the king of the world he has never lost a battle Preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Ministries International. For information about Kingsword Ministries, visit us at kingsword.org for information and additional resources. Thank you for listening to this message. And remember, where the word of a king is, there's power.